0: morning and was greeted by the sunrise I made a simple meal and enjoyed a moment of peace and stillness I stepped into my vehicle joined a million others traveling to work today and I arrived safely. I spent most of the day at my job doing the same familiar tasks that greet me every day. The work that provides for my needs I received a smile from a stranger. I picked up a few groceries. I spoke with my parents. And then I met a friend for coffee. I turned on the radio in my car. I sent a message to someone a thousand miles away. I washed my clothing. I returned home. Very ordinary day. Everything I've experienced today could be considered unremarkable, but they are all profound blessings, the fingerprints of your hand. Help me to grasp the wonder in the small and the simple. To notice the miracles which surround me constantly. To see the beauty in the commonplace and take nothing for granted. Teach me to make gratitude a lifestyle. One which flows into love, rejoicing, and thankfulness every moment that I draw breath.
1: from the Canadian Forces Base Borden, the obvious hub of the Navy in Ontario. (laughs) When we left our church in Ottawa to take up this ministry within the Canadian Armed Forces, and I decided to wear this uniform. The reason I wear this uniform is because my father was in the Second World War in the Navy, so I wear this outfit, plus it's the coolest part of the military. But the people in my church back at home said, what, the Navy and Borden? It's hard to get the boat in there, but it, it finds its way. Let me explain a little bit about the symbolism of this stuff before I start. I was asked about it after the service last night. The reason that I wear this scarf, the reason I wear a hat when I'm not wearing this scarf is to symbolize the fact that I am someone who is under authority. Any authority that I have, that I bring, that I carry is all authority that is invested in me. It's loaned to me. It's none of mine. It's all His. And so as I open God's word to you this morning, let me make that same declaration. What I bring to you is based on the authority of God's word. It's based on who Jesus Christ is. It's got nothing to do with me. So my prayer this morning is that Christ would speak to you, that he would minister to you, and that he would call you. And let me give away the sneaky end to the service this morning. My hope is that as the time of prayer comes at the end of the service this morning, that you will make a declaration to live with full gratitude to Jesus Christ for all that he has done for you, most importantly, for the salvation that you have because of him. It is all because of him. Let me also say as we begin the service this morning that I am so thankful for the relationship that we have with Harvest. Todd mentioned it sort of in passing that it was just a little bit of a partnership. It is an amazing partnership that we have with you. The ministry that we do in the Canadian Armed Forces and specifically at Base Borden is your fault because you guys prayed that God would do something at CFB Borden. And so because you prayed, we got sent here. And I'm not making that up. Todd and I had dinner one time not long after we got here, and he shared that with me, and so I told him that he had to tell my wife because she wanted to stay in Ottawa. But we're here because of you, and the ministry that's going forward is in partnership with you. It's with the church in all of this area, but really specifically, it's with you. You lend us the sound people who come and help us with our services. You lend us worship people who come and help us worship. Uh, and we lend back, your guitarist this morning is Corporal, uh, Corporal Mitch, who I love, and who comes and leads worship with us on the bass. So it is more than just a passing partnership. We're also really thankful for the relationship that you have and that we have with the Military Christian Fellowship because they lean into us. And every time we step up to do ministry at Borden, it's so very cool that there are chaplains in Bath, England that are praying for the ministry at Borden. And that's because of the Military Christian Fellowship. And I know that Harvest is a partner church with them. So let me just start by saying thank you. Thank you for the ministry. Thank you for your prayers. And please don't stop. The message today is all about gratitude, and specifically our responsibility to return to God our grateful hearts for all that he has done for us. As I turn to Dr. Google, specifically Dr. Google French Translate, who has been a very good friend of mine of late as I'm trying to learn French at 48 years old. Please pray for that. But as I, as I type in the word gratitude or gratefulness in Google, in Dr. French Google, do you know what word pops up? The word reconnaissance, to be grateful, thankful, or appreciative. I find that very cool this morning. The fact that reconnaissance is a military term. It's a term we use that, that this is what happens when we are about to go on a mission. We send a reconnaissance team in. So they can figure out what's going to happen when we get there. So they can understand the nature of the battle that we're about to go into. They, they send a recce in to understand what we're about to come up against. So this morning, we're going to do a little bit of a recce together. You thought you were coming to church. You are coming to boot camp this morning. I'm just kidding. There's, there'll be no push-ups happening at all. Unless you nod off. Then Maybe. But the term recce is this idea of going out ahead of the, of the mission team so we know how to do the battle. So this morning, we're going to do a little reconnaissance into what it means to be grateful. What does it mean to live lives full of gratitude? And can I suggest maybe a little dramatically, but I promise you it's not, it's not accidentally, the battle that we are going to engage in this morning is not a little passing fun little event that we're going to do. But you need to understand that the battle that revolves around gratitude is a battle of life and death. It's not a fight against flesh and blood. It's not a fight against human forces. But there are forces in the the heavenly places, the Bible says, that are fighting for your very heart and soul. And if you don't understand what it means to live in gratitude, the consequences are dire. You need to understand that this is a battle that is so important to win so we're gonna fight to win this morning let me begin with a question let me start this recce with a question for you what is the opposite of gratitude most people that I ask that question to answer by saying that the opposite of gratitude is ingratitude makes sense right the opposite of grateful is ungrateful and that would seem to make some sense stark contrast between someone who is thankful and someone who isn't, right? But let me show you this morning that there is a much deeper, darker, dangerous underbelly to the opposite of gratitude than just simply not having it. There are greater consequences than just being neutral. If the opposite of gratitude is ingratitude, then the opposite of positive should be neutral, right? But what's the opposite of positive? Positive. negative, right? We're going to be interactive, so feel free to shout out. All right, the opposite of positive is negative. If the opposite of gratitude is ingratitude, then the opposite of defeat should be what? Just hunker down and hold your ground. But the opposite of defeat is what? Victory. There's something much bigger in terms of the way the pendulum swings than just gliding into the middle. The opposite of gratitude is much more dangerous than ingratitude. The opposite of gratitude is that I don't have any need to say thank you to God because all I have really comes from me. The opposite of gratitude may be more clearly pride. The opposite of gratitude isn't saying that, God, everything that I have, my very salvation comes from you. The opposite of gratitude said it's all about me. I don't owe you praise because I've done all this. That's the opposite of gratitude. So what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. The Bible is crystal clear in its message that God wants and expects from his people, grateful hearts. And God deserves our gratitude. As James says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. It's a huge deal because at the heart of the gospel is not that I have me to thank or that you have you to thank but that we have Christ alone to thank for our salvation. Some are neutral about that. Maybe this morning you've come in here and you're not really against being grateful. You're just kind of neutral. But let me suggest that you will not stay there. The pendulum will swing to one pole or the other. We will either shift to the positive or to the negative. We will either move towards being grateful to God or we'll move... pride saying it's all because of me the worst case scenario is that we arrogantly come to believe that what we have isn't at all a gift from our creator but it's of our own making that is the very core of the fall you will be like God the opposite of gratitude is deadly Let me share with you a little story that comes from Daniel chapter 4, just as a precursor to the psalm that we're going to get into. Daniel chapter 4, you need to understand as we turn there that God will be praised as the only God and the giver of all that we have and that he is able to adjust our bearings to put us on a right course. A lot of us in this room can say that when we've been going the wrong way, God is wonderful to turn the ship for us to get us on course, especially if we want to. So turn with me to Daniel chapter four. It's gonna be on the screen as well. But look look at how God can change the heart of a person. Know that God is able to set things straight. And in the end, the truth is that he is the author of life and blessings and of our very salvation. And in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will only be one who sits on the throne And it's not going to be me. And the bad news is it's not going to be you. It's only Jesus Christ who will get all the praise that he is due and it will go on for eternity. King Nebuchadnezzar learned that lesson the hard way. He learned it a very difficult way. Look at verse 28. The scriptures say all this, and the this in that passage refers to all of the good stuff that God had done for Nebuchadnezzar and in his life. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what was decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with dew until heaven, sorry, the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Can you picture that this morning? Imagine the most powerful person on the planet right now. Imagine them being driven from the place of power, the seat of authority and out in the field roaming around and grazing like an ox. Please don't put a specific name in your mind as you think that thought. And no, it's not okay to pray that for any of the leaders on the planet today. But know this, know this, God is able to adjust us. When we get it wrong, when pride fills our heart, God is able to reorient the ship for us. So what is God's desire's response when we find ourselves in that place? God longs for repentance. He longs to restore those who find themselves full of pride and self-glory. He does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. That is a gracious God. So look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven And the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, my advisors and nobles sought me out, and as I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Verse 37 Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Please hear the last verse of this passage. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And that's the point. If we are willing, God is able to turn that around and willing to take that pride out of our heart. Pride says, I did all this. Humility says with gratitude, it's all from you. Thank you. Know that the heart of our God is to root out that pride from within us and replace it with a heart of gratitude. Let me say this as the first point if you're taking notes. Gratitude can only grow in a humble heart. Gratitude can only grow grow in a humble heart and you can write a little subtext underneath that and God is able to humble the heart. But let's turn to Psalm 30 now, to the text we'll focus on this morning. The backstory, and you see this in the little heading above in Psalm 30, the backstory is that this text emerges out of the life of King David. He's been hiding in a cave at Adullam. He has been the rightful king and yet he's been forced into hiding to try and save his own life And as you write Psalm 30, he is able now to emerge from the cave and from the hiding and take his rightful seat as the king of God's people. As you read these first verses, I'm going to ask you to pay attention as we go through. and Pay attention to how many times you see the word I and how many times you see the word you. Look at verses 1 to 3. David says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol and restored my life to me from among those who go down to the pit. How many times did you see the word you there? I count six. There, there's a bunch of me's and a bunch of eyes, but all of them are in relation to David saying, God, this is what you have done. This is how you have worked on my behalf. The eyes are only in relation to the yous. You, I will exalt. When I called upon you, you lifted me, you healed me, you brought me up, you spared me. And as a result, I will exalt. I called and I was on the receiving end of your salvation. You are God. You are the powerful one. You are the one who saves and delivers. So that's the grammar now for the math. Here's the equation. I call for help plus God saves me equals I return thanks. I call, God saves, I say thanks. Look at verse four. Sing praises to the Lord, O you as saints, and give thanks to his holy name. David isn't just writing this passage to declare his own journey, his own experience. He's writing this to call us to do the same. This morning, these are words for you and words for me. Declare the Lord's praises. Sing his praise. Praise his holy name is the invitation. In fact, it's the command. But let's be honest this morning. We don't always feel this way, do we? There are times when we feel anything other than delivered from the cave. There are times when we feel anything other than high and lifted up to the place that God would put us in. There's times where we feel like we are just surrounded still by the crisis. We're still waiting for the prayers to be answered. We're still waiting for the deliverance. Some of you are in that place this morning. So David has a word for us as well. Look at what it says in verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You may be in one of those seasons, but take heart, not in your circumstances, take heart in who God is, in who his character causes him to be. He is faithful And he is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust him this morning, even in the hard places. The answer isn't to pretend that all is good. The answer isn't to be in a place of struggle and strain and just smile and say it's all. Anyone ever seen that person in church? You know their life is upside down. The wheels haven't just fallen off the wagon. The wagon's on fire and someone stole all the wood after it burnt, right? And you ask them, how are you doing? Brother, how are you doing? Doing fine, praise God. I am living under the spout from where the glory comes out. Right, but you know that they're broken and they're hurting. Please hear this invitation that David gives us. Don't fake it. Don't pretend that hard is easy or that dark times are fun. Faking joy when we are truly struggling with our circumstances doesn't please the Lord. I have it on great authority that God prefers honesty to fakeness every time. He wants us to come like David, declaring the reality of the struggle and how we're feeling. But we turn to him for who he is In the midst of that, last week, Pastor Todd preached an amazing word from Psalm 23 about this God who takes us to places of peace and safety and provision, green pastures, still waters, but also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. He takes us through the dark nights of the soul. We can in those times and we must in those times be honest with him. In those places that are hard, we must cry out in honesty, God, save me. Call to him in those hard places. But know this, this morning, that his heart is to lift you from that space. His heart is to meet you and to restore your soul no matter the circumstances. Verse six, David goes on. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved Just as there are hard times when life gets rough, so too are there times when everything seems so good and stable and secure that it's tempting to forget who holds us secure. Ever been in that place? I can forget to give thanks when all is well. When the kids are good and healthy and behaving. When there's a bit of money in the bank account and my triglycerides are under control. I can forget to say, thank you, God. I can drift into apathy in those places. I can drift into self-reliance and independence. And let me just say that God is good to help with that. Because the truth is that when I know that my security is in the Lord and that he never changes and he is mighty, then I am secure no matter what the circumstances I'm secure if the storm is raging all around me or if it's still waters that I'm sailing in. I'm a boater. Surprise, surprise. I'm in the Navy. I should be a boater, right? But I'm a boater. And I love all of the stories through the Gospels where Jesus teaches from the boat. I find those to be credibility for me in my desire to have a boat. I just go to those verses all the time. But there's a great story where Jesus and the disciples are going across the sea, and as they're crossing the sea, Jesus is napping in the cuddy cabin up front. And the storm begins to rage. You know the story probably. And the disciples, what do they do? They panic. And they wake up Jesus, and they say, don't you care that we're gonna die? And Jesus steps up, can you visualize it? Gets up, probably up on the bow of the boat. Puts a foot up on the bow. Now, But he gets up and he, and he says, peace, be still. And the, and the storm dies down immediately. Now, it doesn't tell us in scripture if those same kind of journeys ever happened again, but I bet they did. I bet the disciples crossed in stormy waters again. And I bet you Jesus fell asleep again in those stormy waters. And I bet that in those times... When the disciples were tempted to wake Jesus up, they probably said, no, we're good. He's here. He's in the boat. That's the key. In the storm and in the calm, the key is, is Jesus with us in the boat. That's what makes all the difference. Let me say this. A grateful heart declares that God is good. A grateful heart declares that God is good. God is good and God is great and he is able to put our feet on the right path. He at times corrects and sometimes he does it by hiding his face so that we are pressed into him and in those times, here's the right response, cry out and lift his name on high. The scriptures and all of human history are full of testimonies about those times when God seemed far away. The dark night of the soul, I can't see you, God. It doesn't seem like you're here, God, but I will plant my feet and I will praise you because you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And I can trust you, not the circumstances. But sometimes God does hide his face. He, he longs to see us grow and mature and move in deeper and deeper into our trust in him. And sometimes he pulls back. To remind us to trust in his nature, not in our circumstances, not in how it feels, but to trust in his heart for us in good times and in bad. Hear David's honesty in verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. David, in this point, is so real with God. He's saying, God, I think this one ends in death. Like he's in the cave in Adullam, and he's like, okay, God, I've seen you do what you can do, but I'm pretty sure this is the end. So I'm just gonna cry out to you, but please don't let it go that way. God longs for us to cry out for him, even when it's to the point of death. So, God, if I die, then who's going to sing your praise? There might be a little bit of manipulation in David's heart there, eh? Who's going to praise you if I'm dead, God? Oh, God, I never thought of that. Great idea. Let's bring you back. Right? But he cries out. God does not need to be manipulated. He does not need to be coerced. He knows what he's doing. He sees the beginning from the end, and he's taking it through it to refine us. Okay? Verses 11 and 12. You have returned... For me, my mourning into dancing, you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh, Lord, my God, I give you thanks forever. These last verses, we can't hold as a, as a proof text to say that it should always turn out right. In David's case, he's declaring this when he's back on the throne, yes, yes, But the verses apply to us even if the hardship remains. God is good. God loves to provide for our needs. He has a good heart. He is better than the best dad you could ever imagine. He's more caring and sweet than the best mom you've ever seen. He is good and he knows how to give good gifts. He is great. And that says that he is able to provide for our needs. His strength and ability none can resist. What good is a good God if he isn't a great God? If he wanted to care for us and deliver us completely but couldn't, what good would that be? But the truth is that God is both good and great, and I will give him praise in the calm and in the storm, David says. So what? So what is a great question to ask at the end of a sermon, preferably not yelling it out loud, please don't do that, to auto-blame me after I'm gone, but so what? So, so David said these things, so what? So Nebuchadnezzar went through the stuff, so what? So what do I do with these truths that the scripture lays before me? So what is the Holy Spirit saying? For we already heard that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. So what is required of me? What is required of you? Well, I think the most important point is this. If you are saved, you will have a heart of gratitude. You can't really be saved without a heart of gratitude. Deliverance requires a grateful heart. The redeemed mind says, thank you, God. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying in my place, for taking on my penalty, my sin, my shame, my guilt. Thank you, Jesus, for taking it all. And thank you that once the price was paid, you rose from the grave. You ascended to heaven and you sit at the right hand of the Father and you live to make intercession for me. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. You are my savior, my advocate, my Lord and my God. And I cry out thank you because I couldn't do it. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't be holy enough. I couldn't save myself. Thank you that I didn't have to. Thank you is what the redeemed heart says. The unrepentant heart says this. The self-righteous mind says this. It doesn't say thank you because it doesn't feel like it needs to. I am good enough. I do work hard enough. I earn my own way. I pay my own freight. I carry my own weight. I don't owe anyone a debt of gratitude. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. All I have is me to thank. So let me ask you as we close, which one are you this morning? What is your disposition? Do you give God the thanks he is due for your life and all that it is and can be and for your salvation? Do you live in a posture of humble praise returning thanks not just for lunch but for the breath in your lungs, for the beat of your heart, the people on your path and the opportunities that you are given? Or deep down, do you think that you built all that your eye can see? Let me say this morning, you want to get that one right. Because one day as you stand before God, I think the right response at the gates is thank you. Not, you need to love me because of all that I've done. Because everything that is, and all that you have, the very life in your body comes from God. And most significantly of all, The salvation that is yours today, forgiveness from sins, and pardon for your guilt is totally and completely because of God's work on the cross. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, these words, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This morning, is that your declaration? Can I encourage you, don't leave this place without squaring that one with God. There can only be one who deserves our praise and our gratefulness. God the Father, Christ his Son, and the blessed Holy Spirit. To you, God, we say thanks. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word, and I I thank you for the clear calling by your Spirit to be a people who live in radical gratitude, God, I pray for each person in this room, myself included, that we would be a people who live in a rhythm of gratitude, that everything that comes causes us to turn our eyes to you and to give you praise and to give you thanks. And even as we close this service, God, I pray that if you are moving in someone's heart and they are saying to themselves, I don't really think that's who I am. I really do think that pride has taken root in my heart. God, I pray that you would move them to a place of a bended knee this morning before you. Thank you that the ground at the foot of the cross is level and all of us come needy, but we meet a God who is good and a God who is great and a God who loves us. We pray all these things together in Jesus' name.